The reason why he told his son to get his gun and the reason why he bought his own gun was because he thought this was the same guy that stole the gun from his car so he could have been armed. The problem is, he had no idea. I worry very much that any of that that existed three months ago doesn't exist anymore. And the biggest travesty here with respect to law enforcement actions is what it might have cost this investigation in evidence. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code BESTCASE. That's code BESTCASE. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer of CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is... Hi, everybody. It's Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor. Jim, I think we should just get right back in to talking about this grim case and all the developments. Yeah, it is. It continues to be a very, very sad and disturbing situation. And some of the things that have come out and some of the developments that we've seen have been exacerbating emotions on both sides of this issue. And Jim, this looks to me like, at minimum, they were committing an aggravated assault. And just so people are aware, in Georgia, aggravated assault is defined as putting someone in immediate fear of getting an immediate serious bodily injury. It's right. funny because most people think it's the actual physical touching of someone or hurting someone. That's, that's actually battery. a battery. Right. The assault is just putting someone in the fear of it. And when you do it with a weapon, that's an aggravated assault, which is a felony in Georgia. And so certainly Arbery would have perceived that these people represented a threat, threat to him at minimum, at best in this scenario. They were shouting at him to stop and they were both armed. And at some point that shotgun was pointed at him. It's very difficult to know exactly how that happened, and that'll be part of their defense. But but regardless of how it got pointed at him, they were shouting at him to stop and presenting themselves to him with a shotgun and trying to get him to stop, which certainly meant he had every reason to think he was about to be the victim or was the victim of an aggravated assault. And the McMichael's defense thus far has been all about sort of burglary and trespassing. So let's talk about the videos, Jim. All right. Before we get there, I just have to, again, one more thing in my review of the video. Most of the time when I first looked at it, I was focusing on Travis McMichael's, the son. And eventually I was drawn more to the father. And I realized that when you look at his behaviors, that it appears as though 
he may be impaired. First of all, he's not driving. Secondly, he's in the back of the pickup. Whether he was in the passenger seat and then got out and climbed into the back, I don't know. But for some reason, he's in the back. Maybe it gave him a better view. Well, that's what makes this look most like a like a horrifying posse, by right. the way. Exactly. And then, and which is why some people are saying that it's a lynching, because it looks as though there was some pre-planning and some set upon this guy rather than let's go investigate. Yeah, that's but, only and just as an aside, that's my uh, my biggest objection in all this and why I've taken some heat uh, from some of our listeners, because I just object to the term modern day lynching until we understand intent. But right. anyway, right, because you think of it, you're thinking of it in terms of legally charging them right. as opposed to just an emotional statement about what people are characterizing it as. Yeah. And that's what the general public is doing. Some people in the general public, but you have more responsibility. You're not going to label it as that unless you get evidence of it. But when I look at Mr. McMichaels, I see that he, his actions are very ineffectual, ineffectual, but also exaggerated. And he seems to have not responded in the way you would think he would have if he wasn't impaired. It's just a thought. And I can't guarantee this is what's happening. But again, unfortunately, because there was no investigation really conducted at the time, we may never know whether he was impaired at the time. And so all of this could have actually been because on a sunny afternoon, he was, you know, enjoying himself, relaxing and partaking of some substance that altered his state of mind and and made him more prone or lowered his inhibitions to go out and act on something like this. Which also, by the way, is no defense in Georgia. I I get it, but I'm former law enforcement. I know I no longer have arrest powers. I know that things changed because I'm out of law enforcement. I'm very aware of the fact that you can make a citizen's arrest, but I know that I, I would have to see a felony committed in my presence. I also know that if somebody is trying to seriously injure somebody in front of me or abduct a child in front of me, that I can intervene and as a citizen and do that. And and because we are former law enforcement, former federal law enforcement officers, we're actually allowed to carry weapons for as long as we are licensed and tested, we can do that in any state in the United States. So That's something that we were trained to do. And that training includes not menacing people and certainly not assaulting people with a deadly weapon or actually shooting them with a deadly weapon. So those things should also be in the training of Mr. McMichaels. Well, he's a former police officer, not just a DA's office investigator who in Georgia are sworn law enforcement. They can make arrests. They're armed. So he was that, but he was also a former police officer. So he should have known better. And it's interesting, Jim, because you know you talk about what you see on the video and what I see on the video as his son is engaged in this soon-to-be-deadly struggle. He, his actions in the back of the truck are a little inexplicable. And it almost looks like he's pulling out his gun. Is he trying to aim it? He just looks very sluggish and delayed. He brings his hands to his head. 
yeah. at some point, both hands to both sides of his head. So I don't think he had his gun in his hands unless no. he had the gun up there, too. I don't know if the, the sound hurt his ears. Again, the reactions seem to be slightly delayed. They seem to be off somewhat. And so I would certainly hope that GBI is scrutinizing that because, yeah, we no blood tests were done. No breathalyzer was done at the time. So Not that we know of. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but so that video obviously will be key evidence in the prosecution, which is, right. I am confident, going to be brought in this case. So before we talk about the prosecution, let's talk about the excuses, Jim. They say that there were, that they believe there'd been some burglary. There's some evidence out that might be true that a firearm might have been stolen out of a car in front of the Michael's house at some point. It's not a so, burglary, first of but all. But it's, it's not a burglary, first of all, it is not. Yeah. But also, video has now been released that appears to show Ahmad Arbery doing what you and I discussed last week. Right. We have done many times, which is look around a, a home under construction. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I think people feel free to do that and don't consider it trespassing is because they see... Even though it is. Yeah, it can be. Yes, it can be. But it's only trespassing if if it is... My understanding is you have to post it for it to be trespassing. In other words, there has to be a sign saying, don't come in here. And the reason why I was saying that many people think it's not a crime or not a problem is because they see construction workers coming and going all the time. Different types of contractors can come and go. And, you know, it's usually a bustling thing when a lot of different people are building a house. There's a lot of different tradesmen and women that go in and actually work on the house. And so you can see over time where it goes from clearing the land to putting down a foundation or a basement to putting up the wood and then covering it and then, you know, things go on inside. So you can actually see it kind of growing in front of your eyes. And if Ahmad actually ran by that number of times when he jogged, it would be interesting to see, oh, how far have they gone? And I'm telling you, the video they released looks like it's exactly that. He walks in, there's a bunch of leaves on the ground. It's obviously very open. He didn't break in in any way. And he actually looks around and he sees what's going on. And that was first used to argue, see, he did, quote, break into this house. No, he didn't break it into this house. He went into an open building that was under construction. It was not somebody's home. People's homes get get a higher level of protection once they're occupied. And once if you do break into an occupied dwelling, you're committing with the intent to commit a crime therein, you're committing a crime, a burglary. If you break in because you're running for your life, that's not the crime of burglary. But because people have a higher expectation of privacy and safety in their home. Homeowners are actually protected if someone does break into their house and they appear to be committing a crime. And the homeowner in many states has the right to use deadly physical force to stop them. Well, and Jim, I'm reaching way back now to my ADA days and I haven't looked this up, but if memory serves... Burglary in Georgia is defined as entering the dwelling house of another with the intent to commit a theft or some sort of, I think, forcible felony therein. So entering the dwelling house of another. 
So in Georgia, you d- it doesn't have to be breaking in. I know you didn't mean that literally, but you don't literally have to break in because if the door's unlocked, you're not having to break in. You literally can walk in. But it's entering the dwelling house of another. Now, I understand that there was a homeowner and the camera that we see was the homeowner's camera that he had put up while his house was undergoing what looks like uh, extreme renovation. I don't think it was a new build. I think it was one of those stripped down to the studs and rebuild. That's Mm -hmm. my understanding. But regardless, there was an owner and the owner had cameras up and he had actually asked a friend to go and after he got one of those alerts on his camera that someone was in there looking around at a time when there was no construction right then, he'd actually asked a friend to go by and see what did the person do? Was there anything missing? And the person went over and said, no, there's nothing missing. And that was all there was to it. He didn't even call police because the person didn't do anything. And we now know, or we think we know that that was Ahmaud Arbery. And that is not a burglary. It is not a dwelling house because no one actually lived there because you can't live there when it's down to the studs. My understanding is that he was told at the time when he did, it was about 20 minutes after Arbery had left. When he called the neighbor, he was told by the neighbor, yeah, that guy's dead. By the time the neighbor was called by the owner of that house, Arbery was already dead. And so there's no question that this is the first contact the owner made with anybody in that neighborhood. And Arbery was already killed at that time. But I have to disagree with you. I don't believe it was a stripped down house. I believe that it was new construction just because I, I, I know I've done a number of houses. I've stripped down a lot of houses and rooms, and uh, there are telltale signs that, that it is stripped down construction because there's plenty of nail holes in the, in the two by fours. There's some laminated boards that are perfect condition. I could see it. I, I, I literally froze on them to see that. It, it, it does look like that the entire outside of the house was done and now the interior was being done. And uh, because everything is sort of laid out and and there was no indications on the concrete or on the on the wood on the walls that there had been insulation or drywall or anything however it could have been what happens sometimes is that in the midst of construction the people run out of money or permits or whatever and so construction is halted and then started up again later it could have been something like that yeah i don't know whether i mean i don't know it i i i just saw an account somewhere that mm-hmm. made me think that it was uh, a reconstruction. It it absolutely could be new construction. My point only is that Arbery was not committing a burglary right, because absolutely. we have no information that there was any intent to commit a forcible felony therein. There wasn't anybody inside and no intent to commit a, fe- a theft. What people don't realize is the way you prove burglary most of the time is because someone has broken into a house and taken something. And so that's how, you know, they intended to commit a theft therein because they did. Um, He walked out of there empty handed. He, he never, there was nothing in his hand. He didn't take anything. So it wasn't a burglary. He never touched anything in the video. Right. And so there's absolutely, in my opinion, as a prosecutor, no way that that will stand as a defense on this citizen's arrest craziness. I think that's just not going to happen. Right. And then what was released is a video from 12 days earlier where 
a young man who's African-American enters that same home under construction and walks around this time. And again, he doesn't touch anything and nothing is reported stolen. However, there is an allegation, at least being reported, that at that time, Mr. McMichaels had a face-to-face encounter with the person who was in that home, that home under construction. And what's crazy is, if that was the case, McMichaels should know very well that nothing was taken, should know very well that there was no police report made, should know very well that there was no reason to be chasing this person down with weapon because he wasn't armed. Now, let's go back to what the police report about burglaries in the neighborhood. There was no string of burglaries in the neighborhood. However, months earlier, Mr. McMichaels reported that a gun was stolen from the trunk of his car. Now, there were no suspects in that case. No, there was nobody seen. There's a description of a person. Absolutely not. So what I believe was happening, what the behavior seems to show is that McMichaels put together his knowledge of Arbery and or this other person running through the neighborhood, walking into this house under construction, and the fact that at some point something was stolen from his car, a gun. He put those things together. And I believe his defense is probably going to be that the reason why he told his son to get his gun and the reason why he bought his own gun was because he thought this was the same guy that stole the gun from his car so he could have been armed. The problem is he didn't witness that. Problem is he had no idea. The problem is that what that evinces to me is that he thinks, hey, he's a black guy, so it's open season. And that is a real problem. Well, it will go to his intent. A judge in Georgia will allow him to present that as evidence uh, somehow, if they can, without testifying, uh, present as evidence that that was their reasonable belief. Now, any good prosecutor, which I hope uh, we have here in Georgia, any good prosecutor is going to say that this was made up in the moments after as an excuse. That's what I would argue as a prosecutor, that this is no excuse. But even if it is, it doesn't apply here because it was made up afterward, that his belief about this was something he came up with to defend himself after they killed Ahmad Arbery. Which brings me to the prosecutor, Jim. That's one of the latest developments. It's actually the fourth prosecutor. The first was a female prosecutor there in Brunswick who recused herself almost immediately from the case because McMichael had only recently retired from her office. And so she had a clear conflict of interest. She did the right thing and retired. I mean, excuse me, recused herself. The second prosecutor is the one who sent this absurd letter to the attorney general talking about self-defense and citizen's arrest. He's not coming off well and will be investigated. The third prosecutor is the one who declared he would send it to the grand jury when the grand jury goes back into session after coronavirus lockdown. But the attorney general realized that person uh, had no credibility with the public and therefore appointed prosecutor number four. Hopefully the final prosecutor who will be bringing the case, her name is Joyette Holmes. She is the district attorney of my home county, of Cobb County, where I was an assistant DA. I do not know her, but she was appointed by our current governor when the DA you and I know, Jim, of Cobb County, Vic Reynolds, was appointed to become the head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. 
When that happened, the DA's office was vacant. And so our governor appointed Joyette Holmes, who, by the way, is Cobb County's first African-American district attorney. And from I've done some checking in the last week from everyone I know, she's very well respected and doing a great job and seeks justice. And that is important to her. And so hopefully she'll do a great job here. But she has taken over the case. Well, she's also then the first African-American female district attorney. And that, again, cuts against that one listener's comment that Georgia is a woman-hating hellhole. Um, Hopefully, she will be in a position to actually find out stuff. It's unfortunate that the investigation is extremely hampered by the fact that that there was such a delay in, in the comprehensive investigation. But we both have a lot of faith in Vic, and we know the GBI is a very, very upstanding and comprehensive investigative body. And we do hope that they're able to put together a comprehensive investigation that finds the whole truth. And unfortunately, that's going to take some time. Again, we have not seen the autopsy results. So therefore, we don't have all the information. There can be some information on the bodies that could have some effect on on the outcome of this investigation. We'll see. And again, the charges brought. And then, Jim, there's also uh, the Department of Justice has been asked by our state's attorney general to look into possible civil rights violations, hate crime violations. So we will see whether that happens. And then lastly, I think the last thing I wanted to get your take on, Jim, although I know how you feel about this, is that Ahmaud Arbery's mother has very understandably called for the killer to face the death penalty. We do have the death penalty in Georgia. We do, I believe, have 40 men and one woman currently sitting on death row in Georgia. Uh, It is very difficult to get the death penalty in spite of what some of the people online seem to think about Georgia. It is rarely sought anymore and even more rarely imposed here, which is why there are actually so few people on death row. But Ahmaud Arbery's mother, in what I think is completely understandable, has called for the death penalty in this case. And I did want to say quickly for our listeners, both here and around the world, I think it is highly unlikely the district attorney will seek the death penalty in this case, mostly because the death penalty is, as I said, difficult to get. It's very expensive and time-consuming and is reserved for those cases where they feel that guilt is simply a given, that there's no question, but that you have either malice murder, as it's called in Georgia, some other places might be called first-degree murder, or second-degree murder, which in Georgia, again, would be called felony murder. But it's not enough just to have either of those two. You've got to have an aggravating circumstance. Aggravated assault might be one of them, but that is generally not what prosecutors in Georgia use as a predicate. They almost always use a crime that is particularly heinous, that involves torture, the death of children or police officers, multiple victims, et cetera. And I'm just, I don't think as of right now, we have enough evidence for them to seek the death penalty. But if evidence comes out that this really was a posse, Jim, that this really was an intentional killing in the sense of they hunted him down to kill him, 
all bets are off and she may very well seek the death penalty. Well, I understand Ahmad's mother feeling that way. And I do believe that if they find evidence and can prove that the McMichaels acted absolutely out of racial bias, that that it could be that aggravating factor. But I do not believe in the death penalty, period. And I will say this, that if audio engineers are able to scrub some of the background noise and filter and clarify the words that are coming out of the mouths of the McMichaels as right leading up to the the shot, the first shot being fired and the other shots that they may actually find out what they were saying at that time. Of course, we have no idea what was said to Ahmad before that, and we have no idea what what other things may have preceded it. Hopefully that will come out. Hopefully it's not a horrible thing, you know, like blatant racism. Hopefully it's not. But well, I hope, too, it's not too late, Jim, to get things like doorbell cameras, ring cameras, those kind of things, any other surveillance that might have been in operation at the time. I worry very much that any of that that existed three months ago doesn't exist anymore. And that is the biggest travesty aside, of course, from the horrifying death of Arbery. But the biggest travesty here with respect to law enforcement actions is what it might have cost this investigation in evidence with this delay. It's absolutely inexcusable. Right. And Francie, the last thing I'd like to talk about is there was a memorial for Ahmad Arbery and on that memorial, there were flowers and cards placed. And one of the cards that was left there, it's anonymous, it said, I should have stopped them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nobody knows who put that there. In our minds, I think we can come up with one very likely person who could have, and that's the guy that took the video. He may have been in a position to stop them if he knew exactly what was going on. There may have been. Somebody else could be Mrs. McMichaels, could be a sister, could be a brother, could be a neighbor, could be any number of people. But what it does show is that there is compassion in the hearts of people, even people that were that close to it. And it's just underscores the serious tragedy here. And basically the way to avoid this is that we should be loving each other as human beings, not hating each other because of some surface differences. And I just wish this stuff would stop. I hope so too, Jim. I'm. We're obviously going to keep covering this. It disturbs us both. And I hope justice will be done. Like you, I have faith in the GBI and in the Cobb County District Attorney's office and the DA herself. And we'll keep following it and report back and hope justice is done for Ahmad. Yeah. Until next time, thank you for listening. Signing off for Best Case, Worst Case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. 
you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's d2l.org.